uh, let me ask you a question as we get going today. Have you ever had someone have expectations for you that weren't necessarily your own? Anybody have that? Uh-huh. Did any of you have parents that had expectations for you for what they wanted you to do with your life, but it wasn't really what you wanted to do with it? But, but I also know this. God has a specific plan for each and every human, every person. I think one of the greatest lies that the enemy tries to, to, to tell people is you're not really worth it. Right? You're not good enough. And as a parent, it's, 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 a, it's a hard uh, journey sometimes to want to, you have to correct your children without giving them the idea that they're not good enough. Do you know what I'm saying? And I think sometimes there are expectations that other people, maybe not even family members, maybe there's other people outside of you or friends or people around you, and there are great expectations for you of what they think your life should be like. But here's the thing I want to release you from today, from any kind of bondage that the enemy would want to put on you to live under somebody else's expectations. All right? Anybody want to be free of that? How many of you think it's way better to live under what God wants for me as opposed to what somebody else thinks that I should be or do or whatever? Amen? So we're going to talk about some great expectations. If you would take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 7, um, we're going to continue. We finished up John 6 before Christmas. We took a little break into some shepherds and wise men and stuff. And uh, now we're back in John 7. And again, we're reading out of the Passion Translation, and it says this. John chapter 7, verse 1. After this, Jesus traveled extensively throughout the province of Galilee, but he avoided the province of Judea, for he knew the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem were plotting to have him killed. Well, that would be a pretty good reason to avoid a certain area, wouldn't it? (laughs) That's just kind of going to make sense. And it's interesting, isn't it? Like, just so we're clear on the math thing. Sorry. Galilee is more north in Israel And Jerusalem is kind of more central. It's more to the south. Jerusalem uh, is on a big hill. It's kind of mountainous, that whole thing. And Galilee is kind of more up. And we we find uh, the Sea of Galilee. And it's it's a different region. It's more of a country area. More, you know, uh, less cosmopolitan. You know, Jerusalem is the main city. The temple and all the worship. And it's the capital and and, and all of that. It's, It's the happening place. It's about 80 miles by foot from, from Galilee region to, to Jerusalem and Judea. So we find Jesus, and you know, if we read through John here, and many of the Gospels say it as well, like he spent a lot of time in Galilee, up north, the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum, right? And uh, all these kind of places. This is all where he, he's kind of his home base. Nazareth is also up north. It's not too far from there. And so he kind of stays in his, in his zone where, he, where, he's, where he's been. But we also find him jumping back and forth to, uh, to, to Jerusalem for a lot of reasons. One of which is uh, verse number two here. Now the annual Feast of Tabernacles was approaching. Okay. So we're going to, I'm going to give you a little something on this Feast of Tabernacles this morning. It was this, in the seventh month of the Jewish calendar, uh, probably mid or late September to mid-October. Okay, so it's kind of a fall thing. It had a lot to do with the harvest. One of three 
what they call pilgrim feasts, which means that every adult male and their families were required to leave where they were and travel to Jerusalem to celebrate this feast. Okay, it's a seven-day-long feast. Okay, so they would come to Jerusalem, and in Deuteronomy chapter sixteen, six, it says that all of the males should appear before the Lord your God in the place which He shall choose. Of course, Deuteronomy was written when they were in the wilderness. And now the place that he chose before was the uh, tabernacle that was temporary. And now the tabernacle is the temple. And so everybody is supposed to come to the temple. And it's interesting because Jesus, um, just by way of review in John, John chapter 5 verse 1 says, you remember when we talked about and we went through the story of Jesus healing at the pool of Bethesda? Remember that? He came. And where the pool of Bethesda is in Jerusalem. And it says in John 5.1, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. So he, Jesus is being an obedient Jew to going to one of these festivals. The reason he's there is because it's one of the, the big three that he has to. So he's up in, up in Nazareth. He's up in Galilee. And he comes down to Jerusalem. Boom, he heals the guy at Bethesda. Also, Jesus is feeding the 5,000. Remember in John chapter 6? John chapter 6, verse 2, it says, And a massive crowd of people followed him everywhere. They were attracted by his miracles and the healings they watched him perform. Verse 3, Jesus went up the slope of a hill and sat down with his disciples. Now it was approaching the time of the Jewish celebration of Passover, and there were many pilgrims on the way to Jerusalem in the crowd. Right? So one of the reasons there's so many people that day that he fed the the reason they're all there, a lot of them are pilgrims on their way down to Jerusalem for one of these festivals. Passover was one of them, and uh, this another one is this Feast of Tabernacles. Okay, And so it's this joyous celebration. It's a festival celebrating harvest and what God has done to provide for them in the past. Okay, And what they would do, and they still do this even to this day. I remember when we had... Yeah, the Messianic Jewish church that met in our old building. And uh, I learned quite a bit from those guys. And one of the things, if you ever saw, they would set up kind of like a, a tent-looking thing. And that was, the, that was the Feast of Tabernacles. That was the celebration of that. And what the people would do is they would build these little shelters, and they would actually live in these tents, and they would spend a lot of time in that during this Feast of Tabernacles. Why? To remind them of what God had done. Okay, So this is a really important part of being a Jew and God's interaction with his people, okay, with these festivals. And so they spend this whole week, they start off with a Sabbath, you do nothing, you're laying around, just talking with friends, no work. And then the whole week was just like a big party. It was in the temple, they were celebrating, they're, they're having food, they're, you know, all this stuff. And then they get to the last day, and then the eighth day would be Sabbath again, so you'd have another. So it actually was an eight-day thing that it ended up being, and then everybody would go back home. So it's really important because, you know, these festivals, I'm not one of these guys that, like, I don't have my one one foot in the Jewish world. In other words, I, I you know, you ever heard these people that talk about the Jewish calendar and this number and all this kind of stuff, and I'm not really that guy. I think it's it's awesome, and I think, you know, there's there's a lot to be learned, but it's interesting with these these festivals because a lot of people believe that the, the these three main festivals. First one was the feast of unleavened bread, or right at the Passover, and of course 
that's that's an easy one to get the significance, right? Jesus is our Passover lamb, right? So that one's that one's we can get a lot out of. Number two is the Feast of Pentecost. And of course that's when Jesus rose and went back up to heaven. But for us it was also, you know, the day of Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit shows up and puts dynamite under the whole thing and just you know empower. And then this last one is the Feast of Tabernacles. And that one, many people believe, is symbolic because of the favor and the blessing of Christ's second coming when he's going to establish his rule and reign on the earth. And so, you know, it's, it's pretty cool, right? But, but just to kind of pop a bubble for us today, this is, this is bonus material here. You know, we just came out of Christmas. We celebrate December 25th. Chances are real good uh, Jesus wasn't born on December 25th. <laughs> but many people, if they, as they've done some research, you know, like it's unlikely that the shepherds would have been out in the field that late in the year with, with the sheep like that, right? But they said it's really likely that during this festival of the Fast Feast of Tabernacles was really likely that the shepherds would have been out there and preparing the lambs and getting things ready for this big festival. Because you got the town swells from 40,000 to 250 or 1,000, 500,000 people, right? There's going to be a need for a lot of lambs during a festival like that. And uh, it's interesting. I, I read this the other day. This is just, I'm going to throw this in. In John 1.14, John 1.14, and this is in the New American Standard. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and tr- truth. You know, it's interesting, that word that John uses, now we're in John, this is at the beginning. That word that John uses for dwelling among us, that word is the word tabernacle. Isn't that interesting? So the Feast of Tabernacles takes on a whole new meaning, kind of in the Christmas sense, if you will, that as Christ comes to earth, he comes to earth and is, it's, he dwells among us. And that word dwelled means, this uh, is the word for tabernacle, which simply means to dwell in a tent. Right? So when the children of Israel are in the wilderness coming out of Egypt, they make the tabernacle, which is what? It's inside a tent. So the glory was inside a tent. And so John sticks this word in here that he says he dwelt among us. He became, he was his tabernacled, if you will, among us. He pitched his tent among us. And so it just kind of adds a little coolness to this whole Feast of Tabernacles thing because it is Christ dwelling among us, pitching his tent. So when you went to Jerusalem for that festival, you would see people in tents all around. Now, back to our story in, in John, John 7, verse 2, that now the annual Feast of Tabernacles was approaching. It's interesting now, we jump to verse 3, and it says this. So Jesus' brothers, we'll just pause there for a second. Jesus had brothers. Uh, he had a, had a father, Joseph, and a mother, Mary. Jesus did, right? And, of course, Mary was uh, became pregnant through the Holy Spirit, and Joseph was told to have hands off until Jesus was born. But as we probably figure when a husband and wife are married, you know, after he was told hands off on the Jesus thing, fine, hands off. Jesus is born. How many of Joseph was like, okay. 
let's get let's get back to the let's get back to the normal married stuff, you know. And of course, that's what they did. And so they end up with several brothers and sisters. Later, we find out that Joseph and Mary had these brothers. Now, these brothers come. It says to advise him, which is kind of funny, just in and of itself, isn't it? Jesus's brothers came to advise him, saying, "Why don't you leave the countryside villages and go to Judea, where the crowds are?" so that your followers can see your miracles. Now, these brothers know the same thing that Jesus knows, and that is, if you're going to go to the Feast of Tabernacles, it's going to be a huge throng of people, right? There's going to be massive crowds. Jesus' brothers have what thought in their mind, do you think? You know, how many of you know that sometimes you can get something when somebody close to you gets famous, you know what I mean? And I'm sure they were probably going, oh, this could be something. You don't have to be carpenters our whole life. We, you know, <laughs> got something going on. But here's my other question. Did you ever get unwanted advice from somebody kind of out of the blue? Have you ever had that experience? What's your reaction when you get unwanted advice? How many of you are those, oh, thank you, people? How many of you are the whatever <laughs> kind of people, right? So I want you just to think of that for a second. Unwanted advice. Uh, just because someone gives advice doesn't mean it's good advice. Isn't that true? All right, so just by way of throwing this out, how many of you have taken somebody else's advice and it turned out poorly? See, the Holy Spirit is our counselor and our guide, isn't he? The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is our counselor and our guide. And I would just say this. I've had times where I've had people give me advice. I've got people giving me advice right now on how I should do things or how we should do things as a church or even, you know, my family and different things. going. Uh, I'm going to go, there's not, there's not a shortage on advice. But how many of you know that just because advice is there doesn't mean it's good? The, these brothers, they say, hey, you should quit hanging out here in the sticks and go down to the big city, down to Judea, and do your thing, right? It's interesting. Uh, I was talking to someone the other day, and uh, I, I felt like there was something I should say to them and give them a piece of advice. But I also cautioned them, saying, listen, this is just my thoughts on this. You find out what God is telling you, right? And figure out what it is that God is, is saying. And because sometimes, don't you think, advice can sometimes be more about them and their journey than it is about you and your journey. So we find this is true with, with Jesus' brothers. And get to verse 4 and it's speech. No one can see what you're doing here in the backwoods of Galilee. How do you expect to be successful and famous if you do all these things in secret? Now is your time, Go to Jerusalem. Come out of hiding and show the world who you are. Verse 5. His brothers were pushing him, even though they didn't yet believe in him as the Savior. Now, doesn't this, this kind of strikes you as funny, doesn't it? Like, they're pushing him to go be famous. They don't even believe in who he is. You know, this. I was thinking this yesterday as I was going through this again. Um, how long have Jesus and, and Holy Spirit been together? <laughs> Always. Forever. I mean, think about that. Forever. They've been together. 
How many of you think that Holy Spirit and Jesus have a pretty good relationship? Right? So if Holy Spirit is the counselor and our guide and he's, that's, that's who he is, how many of you think Jesus and the Holy Spirit have a pretty good connection in regards to what the next step should be? So here's one of the challenges I want for us today. I want us to be so secure in Holy Spirit and what he's doing in our lives that when we get bad advice from someone, it's glaringly obvious. Isn't that true? should write that down. That's a good one. <laughs> Me too. You know, our goal is that we're so tight. Because can you imagine what Jesus was thinking as these boys are talking? And, you know, he's probably going, okay, appreciate the input. And of course, he loves them and he wants his best for them. But they're pushing, it says in verse 5. They're pushing him. Even though they didn't even believe in him. I wonder what he was thinking. Anyway, verse 6. It says that Jesus responded and said, My time of being unveiled. Everybody say, unveiled. Unveiled. Hasn't yet come. But any time is a suitable opportunity for you to gain man's <coughs> approval. Now, all of us have been to weddings before, right? And uh, I don't think it's as big a deal now as it used to be. But you remember in the old, old older days, days gone by, the, 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 the bride would come down the aisle and she had a veil over her face, right? And, and as, as you know, then how did it work? She would come in the back door, she had a veil over her face. She walks down the aisle, and then at the exact right time, what would happen? Father would give her away. Father would give her away, and then what would then what would they do? That's the veil. Takes the veil. Ah, there she is. She's so beautiful. She's amazing. <coughs> right? What would have happened if, like, at the back of the ceremony, she just goes, yeah, I'm sick of this thing, and throws it off, you know, like, like there's a certain time for what? The unveiling of the bride. And this word here is the same, this is the same word. Like, it's the same idea that there is a time for it to be hidden and covered, and then there's a time for it to be shown, okay? So Jesus looks at these guys and says, listen, my unveiling, my this releasing of who I am isn't, isn't ready yet, right? There's a certain timeline to the whole thing. And this is one of the things I want us to focus on today. There's a timeline. You remember uh, in Galatians, uh, Galatians chapter 4, it says, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son born of a woman. Can I just tell you, you know, just coming out of Christmas and celebrating the coming of Jesus to the earth, it was at exactly the right time, at the fullness of time, if you will, the unveiling. And again, back to John chapter 1, he talks about the Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. It's this, it's this perfect timing to this. How many of you are impatient by nature? Raise them. Because if you're really impatient, you put two hands up. Like, it's like, that's me. I'm totally in. Right? So we tend to be a little impatient by nature. And how many of you get tired waiting for something that you want to happen? Right? Oh, man. I tend to really have to fight this a little bit. 
I'm one of these guys that gets impatient waiting for my fast food. You know? I, I'm one of these guys that gets impatient. I was at Six Flags with my daughters the other, like one of these last days, Christmas days, and we were just going to check out the Christmas stuff at Six Flags. And how many of you have that Murphy's Law thing that if there's five lines of traffic going into something like a park like that, no matter which line you pick, that's going to be the slowest one. Anybody have that thing going on? It's it's uncanny. My daughters were looking at me like, "Are you? Is this for real, Dad?" Like, yes, we're in the slowest line again. You know, and there's this impatience that comes over me when it's stuff like that because I want it to go on my time. I want it to be when you know I want to be first in the park. I want to be you know get ahead of all these other people kind of thing. And it was one of those things where God was like, "Just chill, bro. We we got this. It's good. You're going to be fine." You know. And I think sometimes God looks at us like that when we start getting, oh, you know. And uh, there are a lot of history of being impatient and moving ahead with a plan and it not turning out very well. Have you ever had this experience? Have you ever had that thing where after it's done and the thing is crashed and burned or there's a big problem and you feel like Holy Spirit goes, hey, uh, if you'd have just waited for me, I had a whole better thing planned here. Remember the story of Abraham? Gets the promise that through him and his son, the whole earth is going to be blessed. You know, Genesis chapter 12 and the promise and all that. And then he just got impatient, didn't he? And if some of you know the story, instead of waiting to have a son by his wife, his wife gets impatient and says, listen, take my maidservant, Hagar, and I want you to sleep with her and get an heir through her. And that must be how God's going to do this whole thing. And so they do, and they have this little boy named Ishmael who then grows up to be the beginnings of the whole Jewish-Arab conflict. (laughs) Like, that's the root of it. I mean, how horrible. I mean, like, even this week we've got all this stuff going on with Iran and Iraq and the bombing and killing, and and there's been hatred towards the Jews and animosity between the two, you know, the the Arabs and and the Jews. Oh, You know what it started with? Impatience with God's plan. That whole thing never would have had a beginning there if it hadn't been for the impatience of Abraham and Sarah, right? So, cautionary tale, right? It's it's pretty important for us to figure out what's God's expectations, what are his plans for us, as opposed to what other people think. I mean, I don't think it ever would have taken place, but what if Jesus would have said, yeah, you know what? I'm sick of hanging around here with all these hicks with straws out of their mouth. You know, I'm going to go down to the big city. I'm going to make this thing happen, you know. Like, I'm pretty sure that would have messed up the whole plan, right? But he doesn't. He says in Galatians, in the fullness of time, at just the right moment, God has this thing. It moved on. And actually, Jesus says this many times through the gospel. My time isn't, it isn't my time. It's not the right time. And then it goes on and it says, he's talking to his brothers and he says, it's not the right time. He said, verse 6, any, my time for unveiling hasn't come, but any time is suitable opportunity for you to gain man's approval. He says, the world can't hate you, but it does me, for I am exposing their evil deeds. Here in a second. Verse 8, he says, you can go ahead and celebrate the feast without me. My appointed time has not yet come. When I was thinking about this and I thought, 
You know, the rejection of somebody else's ideas accompanied by your godly wisdom and inspired reason for that can be very beneficial both to you and to them. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, if someone's pressuring you or giving you advice and you say, listen, I just don't think that's the plan that God has for me right now. And you say, listen, and here's the reason why. And you explain to them the godly reason. Because that's really what Jesus did to his brothers right here, right? He said, it's not, my time and your time aren't the same, and here's why. Because I'm bringing in words of life and exposing sin, and you're not. <laughs> and this is why it's not my time. You know what I'm saying? I just want to encourage you with that. I felt like that God laid that on my heart for somebody to give you empowerment to not be afraid to say no. Just because someone has advice doesn't mean it's good advice. But to do it in a way that actually there's a confidence in the Holy Spirit and what you think. Now, mind you, Holy Spirit's not, <laughs> you know, for most of us, how many of you have found your interaction with the Holy Spirit is a little bit fluid at times, right? How many of you have ever had Holy Spirit speak to you like words, like an actual word? How many of you have had that experience? Yeah, like either audible or... You know, you just, it was almost as if it was audible, but it was like words. You may have read them or you may have seen them. And it happens, you know, like that happens a lot, actually. And I think we should crave that. But I mean, you know, for most of us, most of the time, when Holy Spirit, it's more of a a nudge. It's more of a, a leaning. It's more of a, a feeling that you get, right? So I would just encourage you, it doesn't have to be this huge, thus saith the Lord kind of thing. It can be. But it can also just be, you know what, I don't really feel like that's what Holy Spirit is saying. And uh, this friend I was talking to the other day, I actually said this to him. I said, listen, you know, because he had been getting some advice from other people or some thoughts on some things. And it's good advice, but I felt like God was giving me something else for this person and said, well, you know, maybe just consider this as well. But at the end of the day, it's the responsibility of that person and Holy Spirit to figure out, which path is the right one, right? So, he says, my appointed time has not yet come. So then we go to verse 9. So it says, then Jesus lingered in Galilee until his brothers had left for the feast in Jerusalem. Then later, Jesus took a back road and went into Jerusalem in secret. That's kind of a funny little thing there. Under the radar kind of thing. Yep, go ahead without me. I'm going to... My appointed time has not yet come. And isn't that interesting? For him to say to them, go ahead and go without me, uh, could very well have been interpreted by them as, hey, our brother Jesus is not being the good Jew. Because they don't know he's going to sneak and come back around later. He's just saying no to the one of three commanded pilgrim festivals. So they're going to the festival. They're doing the right thing. And he is telling them, no, I'm not going. Interesting little thing, isn't it? <laughs> I feel like God wants us to know, like, following him often comes with intangibles around us. That, like, have you ever been uh, criticized for something, for doing the right thing? You've been criticized for doing the right thing because someone else interprets it the wrong way? Yeah, 
how many, I should probably ask how many of you haven't had that experience, because <laughs> most of us have. We, we, we're trying to do the right thing. We're trying to follow Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden, people are criticizing. You know, we used to get it quite a bit now, but when we really purposely as a church decided to follow uh God into his supernatural ways and really open up to prophecy and healing and this kind of stuff. That really, a lot of people thought we were not following God anymore. And I wonder, I don't know, it doesn't say anything about the brothers here, but, you know, if you just kind of look at the story, they're all supposed to be going to the festival. They've probably done it for 33 years, <laughs> or at least since Jesus had, had you know, become a man. So you're thinking 15 or more years, Jesus and his brothers had probably been going to these festivals together all the time. Now they say, hey, dude, you're getting to be a big shot. Let's go, man. This is going to be awesome. You know, you're probably going to be the king. You're probably going to do all this stuff. And Jesus says, yeah, no, basically, I'm not going to the festival this year. Wow. There's probably, hit, you know, probably some room there for criticism, don't you think? So I want to just encourage you to be bold and to be brave with the path that God puts you on. I would just encourage you to do that. Because even as we see here, and we see it later also as well, where Mary and the brothers and sisters show up and essentially want to throw Jesus in the loony bin for what he's been teaching. Like his family is not necessarily on board. Even his own mother at one point isn't on board with who Jesus is. And these guys certainly don't believe in that he's the Savior, right? So I just want to give you an encouragement. There's going to be people around you, even family, that aren't going to understand what God is doing. And I'm just going to encourage you and empower you to be bold and courageous no matter what that is. Because it's going to have criticism. There's going to be attacks. There's going to be all this stuff. And Jesus doesn't seem to bother him. Verse 9, he says he lingers in in Galilee and then makes his way back. Jesus lets his family go without him. And I felt like the other day God really spoke to my heart. He said, sometimes it's okay to let people go, to let them leave you. If they're not on the same path as you, and, and mind you, remember how Jesus, he gives it to him straight, but it doesn't seem like he's being mean, you know, right? Sometimes it's okay to let people go, even family and friends around you, and to let them go if they're not on the same journey you are. Because what happens if you try to adjust your belief system to someone around you that isn't necessarily yours? What happens? Man. Have you ever seen where when people do that, the one person gives up their beliefs for the other person? But I was a youth pastor out in the Seattle area when I first came out of Bible college. I was out there. And uh, there was a nut- we were one big youth group in town. It was a smaller town, but we had a pretty good-sized church, you know, 350, 400 people. And, we had a- and the youth group had really grown when I was there. And so we had this big youth group. And then there was a free Methodist church down the block that was the other big church in town. And, uh, you know, Free Methodist youth pastor was a good guy. You know, we kind of liked hanging out. And, and you know, we started planning some stuff together. Now, the Free Methodists were really different than us. We were a Pentecostal church, and so we, were, we valued things like speaking in tongues and Holy Spirit and this kind of stuff. And this Free Methodist church was more just kind of Jesus, salvation, you want to get you to heaven and 
that you got along the way, kind of thing. And uh, was it was a good church. It just it was really different than our church. And so we started to plan some stuff with our youth groups together. And my pastor, who's this older wise guy, not a wise guy, he was full of wisdom. <laughs> he calls me into his office one day and he says, "Steve, why? What? What's the what's the deal here? What are you doing with these two youth groups?" And I explained to him, hey, it's good, you know, friends, blah, blah, blah. He looked at me and he says, what are they sacrificing for your friendship together? And I looked at him and I didn't know what he was talking about at first. He says, listen, for them to hang out with us, they have to give up nothing. Because we believe Jesus is Savior and, you know, all this kind of stuff. But for us to hang out with them and do especially spiritual things, we have to give up what? We got to give up the Holy Spirit. We got to give up speaking in tongues. We got to give up all that stuff because it it offends them, right? And it really taught me a lesson. Not that we shouldn't find common ground because we did. We still did some stuff together as a youth group, but it really challenged me with this thought of who are my people. Chris Valentin uses this phrase a lot. I love find your people, find your purpose, right? So your purpose and your people are together. And I think it's really important. So I, I know a lot of people that feel strongly about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and, and you know, prophecy and tongues and, and all these spiritual gifts and all this, this cool stuff. But they end up going to a church that doesn't honor it to, to the place of it being actually something that they do. They give, they give credence to it. You know, they, oh, yeah, that's good. But they never actually do it. You know what I'm saying? It's not a value. It's not a core value for them. And what happens to people in that setting is more often than not, those that have the, the power, you know, they really want the power and stuff, they end up kind of letting that go. Why? To be a part of the greater group of, it's nice, but it's not really for us. You, you see where I'm going here with this? And I want to encourage us, not for exclusivity and that kind of stuff. I'm not into that. But I do think there's a very strong of finding your people and finding your purpose when you find your people. It's a really good feeling, isn't it, when you partner with someone that really believes it's kind of the same that you do and you're moving forward together on the journey. It's one of the things I really like about Sundays with you guys is because I feel like, you know, we, we have these same core values. We really do want Holy Spirit to show up. When we worship, we're not just up here to make impress people with our music. We're not up here to bring glory to ourselves, right? We're Our goal is that Holy Spirit would show up and do some awesome things, and we get to be a part of what God is doing. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And I just think it's really important that when you find the people, and Jesus was like, okay, brothers, I'm sure he loved them, you know. He grew up with them, and he's love, you know. But he says, listen, you, you guys go ahead. <laughs> I'm going to stay here. He separates himself from them purpose. Well, that's the other thing too, isn't it? You start taking advice from someone and doing what they think you should do, is that going to encourage them or, you know, limit them in their further advice? Have you ever found this? You take somebody's advice, they want to give you more. And I think it's really cool. They gave him advice and he says, yeah, that's great. You guys go ahead. I'm going to stay here. And risk their scorn, risk their criticism, risk them thinking he was a horrible Jew. And I just think sometimes it's, it's okay to say no to some people 
and then find your people. Find those that uh, find your people, find your purpose. It's pretty good, right? I wish I had to come up with it. It's actually Chris Valentin, so I'll just give him all the credit for that one. Anyway, verse 11, he takes the secret road to Jerusalem, which is really interesting because he's going to have to work hard to do that because <laughs> you got hundreds of thousands of people coming from all over the country into Jerusalem, and you're right. By this time, he's probably famous because he's, he's done some big stuff. If you go back and read John 1 through 7 here, Oh, man, there are crowds. He's feeding huge crowds. He's walking on water. He's healing the guy at Bethesda, turning water into wine. I mean, like, the word is out on this guy. So he's really going to have to go cloak and dagger to get into Jerusalem. finish up here. Verse 11, it says, During the feast, the Jewish leaders kept looking for Jesus and asking around, Where is he? Have you seen him? So, remember, they're trying to kill him. They're looking to kill him. So they want him to make an appearance. And again, this whole thing of, uh, you know, he had made trouble before at feasts. We, we've seen before. They figured he couldn't pass up a big crowd. He, he's got to come here. He did it before. And this is what's so cool about God. Like, just because he did it one way before doesn't mean he's going to do it that way, right? And, you know, Galatians uh, 5 talks about keeping in step with the Spirit. You know, before, but it's like that old show, The Monkeys. Here we come. Walking down the street. Remember how their legs would go back and forth and they were in sync with each other. I always think of that with the Holy Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit, right? Because He knows which foot to take. Have you ever tried to do that move with someone who doesn't keep their <laughs> legs going the right way? You know, I do this with my daughters quite a bit. We try to do it. And it takes a little bit of work to get in the flow of. And it says, keep in step with the Spirit takes a little bit of work, but how many of you know in the end it's worth it, right? So, they're looking for him. They're trying to kill him. Holy Spirit has a whole different thing. Jesus is keeping in step with the Spirit. It says in verse 12, a controversy was brewing among the people with so many differing opinions about Jesus. Some were saying, he's a good man, while others weren't convinced and instead saying, He's just a demagogue, right? Isn't it interesting how the same God can be viewed so differently by people? Have you ever had a conversation with someone that was angry at God? And they would start to describe him in these mean, how could, you know, God is this and he's done this and blah, 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 blah. And you ever look at him and go, that doesn't sound like my God at all. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like you look at him and you're like, Okay, dude, that is, you know, that's okay. Jesus could have shown up right at the beginning of the festival. We're going to find out next week. We're going to find out that Jesus actually waits to, waits until the middle of the festival, right? So at least three to four days. He lets all this take place. I just, I was challenged again on this. If you're talking to someone that has a difficult view of God and they're angry or they're hurt or the church has hurt them and this kind of stuff, I want you, number one, to be an example to them. I mean, that's the one that we find with Jesus. He's a good example. Would you agree? <laughs> He's the one to follow. So Jesus, But even Jesus responded to people totally different at times. Like, sometimes... He sits down with the woman at the well. 
and he he very lovingly interchanges with her, tells her truth, prophesies over her. You know, this is this kind of cool thing. He talks to Nicodemus in a religious kind of, you know, must be born again and all this kind of stuff. And and yet the other times he's with the he's with the Pharisees and and he's you brood of vipers, you know, kind of thing. He really lays it on them. And other times he walks into the temple, rolls up a rope, and starts beating people. <laughs> right? I mean, it's it's really interesting how different. And so every person has a different thing. But here's the thing I thought was really interesting. He lets this kind of chaos about who he is run its course for three to four days. He doesn't step in. He doesn't go, oh, no, wait a second. Here's who I am. How many of you know that some people, you love this, have to process some things? You remember the story of the prodigal son? You know, it's interesting in that one. Like, the father loves the son. And when the son comes and says, hey, old man, give me all my money, all my inheritance, the father says, okay. And gives him this huge amount of money. Now, I'm a father. I don't think I... I don't think I would do that. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, it, it's, you know, it just seems weird to me. But here's the other weird part. When you love someone, you know, you've heard this kind of corny phrase, when you love someone, let them go. <laughs> and, you know, but there's really is a truth to that, isn't there? Like, how many of you know that the son would never fully experience the love of the father until he was eating with the pigs? See, there are people in our lives that you've got to let go. You've got to let them hit rock bottom. You've got to let them stew with God and raise their clay fist to God and curse the potter. You know what I mean? Like, like there's, there's a certain aspect to it that people have to process what they think about Jesus and all that stuff. So for three to four days, he lets all this chaos in the temple. And, oh, he's a good man. No, he's not. He's a demagogue. He's, you know, all this stuff. He lets it go. And to me, that was kind of one of those things of saying, Again, keeping in step with the Spirit, is it time to step in and speak truth? Or is it time to back off and let Holy Spirit work in the person to bring about the result that is actually needed? Because in my time, you know, for most of us, if there's a prodigal in our lives, we're tempted to push the issue and go hug them and make it happen, right? But maybe... God knows more than we do. And the timing, the time for hugs isn't today. It's in three months or a year or whatever when the person has come to an awareness of who God is and they're broken and they're ready to receive the truth. That's really heavy, isn't it? What's with me and all this heavy stuff at the end of sermons lately? I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Let me close with this. So there's controversy. So controversy isn't always bad. And in this case, we see that Jesus is actually letting it happen. Okay? <laughs> and, and again, let me just throw this one in. This is a verse that I, I felt like Holy Spirit uh, gave me. I'll just read it to you. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 to 36. If you want to turn here, I'll give you a couple of seconds. Because you're going to find something that runs contrary to American church culture. In the old days, I always knew when I was ready to start preaching again, when I would not hear the, the pages rustling and all that stuff. When it got quiet again, then I knew everybody was there. Now with digital, I have no idea where you guys are at. Are you checking Facebook? Or what? I don't know. 
But Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 to 36, says this. This is Jesus. He says, Perhaps you think I've come to spread peace and calm over the earth. But my coming will bring conflict and division. Right? In the New American Standard and the NIV, both has the word sword. It says, I haven't come to bring peace. I've come to bring conflict and division, not peace. This is Jesus saying this, right? And he's actually quoting, he starts to quote the prophet Micah. Verse 35, because of me, a son will turn against his father, a daughter, her mother, and against her mother-in-law. Within your own families, you will find enemies. Doesn't that just, okay, here I'm doing it again. I'm bringing this like heavy depressing thing to the end. Uh, Last week it was killing a bunch of babies. This week it's turmoil in families. I don't know what God's got for us next week. But here's my thing. Don't be discouraged. Jesus himself knew. And I think this is interesting. So I read a quote this week from Walter Kaiser. It's from Hard Sayings of the Bible. Some of you have access to that commentary. He said this, When Jesus said that he had come to bring uh, not peace but a sword... He meant that this would be the effect, everybody say effect, effect of his coming, not that it was the purpose of his coming. In other words, it's, it's not that Jesus is trying to create terror, you know. No, he's not, he's not trying to bring sword and division and conflict, but he knows this, that his coming will have that effect. Has anybody in this room found that to be true? When he comes, there's, sometimes it's not peaceful. It's conflict. And he goes on and says this, the metaphor of the sword describes how unbelievers may respond to the gospel, not how we communicate it. In other words, it's on them, not us. (laughs) We're not the one wielding the sword. They interpret it. They're the ones that actually grab the sword and create the thing. Have you found this to be true? (laughs) When our good is ill-spoken of, (laughs) as the Bible says, right? When we try to do the right thing, but it actually brings conflict. Do you ever have that scrunchy eyebrow thing and go, what? Why is this happening? You know, we were praying with you guys and your family, you know, over the Christmas season and stuff. You know, and many of you went to families where, you know, the potential for conflict is great. And sometimes we kind of beat ourselves up or let the enemy beat us up. And really, it's, it's, not, it's not you. You know, when someone says they hate you or they don't like you or they're mad at you, and it's be- if it's because of who you are in Christ... You're, you're okay. And I want to just encourage you with this. When the prodigal son finally realized who, what he had done and the mistakes he had made, what did he do? He came back to the Father. And he was, he was broken and humbled, wasn't he? Don't short-circuit the process. But it's hard for us because we have this love thing you know, you can almost imagine this, the father letting the son go that day, you know, kind of wanting to hold on. No, stay, stay. I'll make you a better room or I'll, I'll let you drive my car or whatever, you know, whatever it was. And the son was like, no. And this, and, but we see in the story that when the son finally figures out and heads back, the father is standing there waiting for him, looking down the road <coughs> for the son to begin to return. And I think there's times where, where conflict is going to happen. And it's okay. And again, you work this out with Holy Spirit and how it's to be in your life and all that. But don't 
Don't let your desire for peace overwhelm your desire to follow God. Does that make sense? It's so difficult, but there's such life there. Let God do his thing. So Jesus doesn't show up in the temple, we're going to see next week, for three or four days. He lets the chaos go. Why? Because it actually does good in people sometimes to have to work stuff out. Anybody say amen? Amen. So, real quick, I'm going to give you this. (laughs) I feel like God said, Seven lessons from John 7. I'm just going to read them real fast. If you want, I can put them on the website if you want to get them later. But Lesson number one, God knows everything. <laughs> I know it's kind of redundant, but sometimes we need to be reminded, God really does know what he's doing. Do you know what I'm saying? Sometimes we grab the reins. No, he knows what he's doing. He's He's really, really knows what he's doing. Even when we're criticized or something like that, okay? Number two, he has got an amazing plan for you and for me. Makes sense up here. It's time to get it down here. (laughs) Right? Oh, God. Yes, I know you're smart. Yes, I know you know everything. Yes, I know you have a plan. But am I acting in accordance with your plan? Right? Am I trusting you? Number three, sometimes the people closest to us have the worst advice. (laughs) Okay, we've been through that. Number four, it's okay to not hang around certain people. I want to just release you from that, this desire to, you know, um, and feeling like you have to, you know, so, you know what, it's okay to be friends, but, you know, find your people, find your purpose, right? Number five, God has a timing to everything. 400-year gap before Jesus showed up in the fullness of time God sent his son, right? Galatians 4. Jesus kept saying, you know, my time is not yet. My unveiling of the bride isn't, isn't right, isn't yet, you know. Trust that. He knows when to unveil things and when to keep them hidden. We can trust in that. Amen? Number six, trust trust Holy Spirit. Trust Holy Spirit. Keep in step with Him. Number seven, conflict is not always a bad thing. That's a personal one, isn't it? you got to figure that one out yourselves. Right? And then here's a bonus one, number eight. Jesus might not have been born on December 25th. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. What? There was more than three wise men possibly? No way. <laughs> that was last week. All right. Hallelujah.